Luke chapter number 9 this morning. I'd like to begin reading at verse number 57. And uh, I was telling them in Sunday school that the past three sermons I've preached, I've really had more sermon than I had time. But I hope if the Lord will help me to, I want to make up for that this morning if I can. Luke chapter number 9, verse number 57, the Word of God says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said unto him, Let the dead bury their dead, but go thou and preach the kingdom of God. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee, but let me first go bid them farewell, which are at home at my house. And Jesus said unto him, No man, having put his hand to the plow, and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of of God, Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I ask this morning that you would speak to hearts through the work of the Holy Ghost. Lord, I will fail this morning in the energy of my flesh. So help me this morning to hide behind your cross. Help me to crucify self and flesh. And Lord, help me to depend wholly upon you this morning. Father, I don't have much. But by your grace, I want to yield every bit of it to you. And I want you to work in hearts, Lord. Let me only be the vehicle that men might glory in you and that they might glorify you. Father, I pray that these truths would penetrate hearts, hearts that have oftentimes been hardened by the world and hardened by comfort and hardened by apathy and hardened by the low standard of of Christian discipleship in the day that we live in. Oh, God, we're so complacent. Break us of our complacency. And I pray that you would take these truths and put them exactly where they need to be in the depths of our hearts. Help us not only to grasp them, but to be obedient to them. And we'll be sure to give you the glory. If there's any amongst us, Lord, you and you alone know the human heart. Even we cannot know the heart. It's desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. But, Lord, you know whether there's any amongst us here that have never been born again. And I pray that today, Lord, not later, not another time, but I I ask you, Father, today through the Holy Ghost to show them that they are lost and in need of Calvary and that before they leave here, they would be born again. Father, now we've asked you to do this. We've not asked each other. We've not said it as a a confirmation word of faith, believing in ourselves, Lord. But it's been an intercession. It's been a supplication. It's our heart's desire for you to accomplish these things, that we might give you the glory. And we do ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. In Luke chapter number 9, we have the story of three men that are faced with the challenge of discipleship. I would say to you this morning that if you have been born again you have been faced with the challenge of discipleship. Now, when I speak of discipleship, I'm aware that disciple and discipleship has two connotations. And I believe they're both valid. I believe that discipleship, on the one hand, is our purposeful interest that we take in the life of someone. 
either that is lost to win them to Christ, that we may disciple them, or that is already saved, that we might help disciple them, that they might grow closer to the Savior. And I'm aware, and that's a valid definition of the word discipleship. But I believe also, just as discipleship can be spoken of something that you do in the life of another, discipleship is also something that is spoken of that we in our own lives yield to that we might glorify Jesus Christ and serve Him. You see, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and to be saved oftentimes are altogether two separate things. There's plenty of folks that are saved that are not disciples of Jesus Christ. To be a disciple of Jesus Christ means to be a follower of Him. There's lots of folks that have put their faith in Him and they've believed in Him and they've truly been born again, but they're not following Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, how, how do you know if I'm following Jesus Christ? Well, are you winding up where He wants you to be? If you're not winding up where He wants you to be, you're not following Him. That's pretty simple, isn't it? It's pretty evident whether we're following Jesus Christ. Are we walking in the way of the world or in the way of the Word of God? If you're walking in the way of the world, you didn't get there by following Jesus Christ. You got that way by doing things your own way. Are you a failure in your Christian life? I know that word failure uh, is forbidden in this soft and uh, neutral uh, world that we live in today. No one's a failure, you know. But the truth is some folks are failures. Some folks are failures uh, in their role, in their marriage. They're failures uh, in their job. They're, they're failures in their friendships. They're, they're failures. You say, preacher, that's pretty harsh. Well, you don't have to stay a failure. You can get right and do right. Amen. And uh, life doesn't come with an eraser like a number two pencil, and I'm aware of that. But you can choose from this moment forward to do and to be the right thing. And there's many that are failures in the area of discipleship. You say, preacher, are they failures at being saved? No, because being saved don't have anything to do with what we do. It has to do with what Jesus Christ has done for us. But they're failures in the way of discipleship. Uh, and I believe this morning that the only way the church is going to be what it needs to be is if we'll commit to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Church is getting a mess by following man. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not your shepherd, I'm your under-shepherd. You say, what's the difference? Well, the shepherd has the run of things, and the, under, the shepherd also has the run of the under-shepherd. I'm not the boss of things. I laugh, my little niece, I, uh, we watched the nursery last night and uh, <clears throat> during the ladies' meeting, and and I walked in, and, and they were doing something. I, you know, kids always breaking something, throwing something, setting something on fire. And uh, I walked in, and I, and I said, Honey, don't do that. And she said, I know, I know. You're the boss of church. <laughs> and, uh, you know, my flesh wanted to say, Hey, I like that. But then my spiritual man said, No, nah, that ain't right. <laughs> no, I'm not the boss of church. I'm the under-shepherd. The shepherd's the boss of church this morning. You see, you're getting a mess following man. Only by following the Savior will you wind up where you want to be. And there's very few people that like the idea of following a man. Most people would say, oh, I don't follow any human being. Sure they do. They follow themselves. That's the world of humanism that we live in today. We deify self and call it independence. When in the reality, it's not independence, it's self-dependence. The only independence comes from Jesus Christ. If the Son hath made you free, you're free indeed. You say, what do you do with that independence once you've got it, preacher? You surrender that and become dependent upon the Savior. 
There's really no independence apart from Jesus Christ, and then that independence is surrendered to Him. You give your life to Him or you'll make a mess of things. I read about three men in this passage that were faced with this challenge, just as you are today. What will you do with Jesus Christ? Will you follow Him or will you spurn Him? This morning, God is going to speak to some hearts in this building. You say, preacher, are you a pre-? no, I'm not a prophet, but I wouldn't be preaching this morning if I didn't have the sure hope and faith that God, through the Holy Ghost, would do His secretarial work in the hearts of His people. So I believe God is going to speak to some hearts this morning. And when He does, and I hope mine is right there with it, and when He does, what are we going to do with it? Well, that'll decide right there whether we're a disciple or not. Because if we choose to go our own way, we're not a disciple. We're not following Him. We're following ourselves. We're self-dependent. Or we'll choose to follow Jesus Christ and His assessment and His opinion about our lives and we'll surrender and submit to Him. So you're faced with this challenge. I'm faced with this challenge. And I want us to notice three things about these young men just by way of introduction. I say they're young men. We don't know how old they are. But I want us to notice three things about them just by way of introduction, then I want to preach you a short message. I want you to notice three things that are in common with all three of these men. Notice with me first off, look in uh, verse number 57. The Bible says, And it came to pass that as they went in the way, a certain man said unto him, Now notice this next word, what does he say? Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Look in verse 59. And he said unto another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. Look at verse number 61. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. I want to notice first off that all three of these men proclaim Jesus to be the Lord of their life. Now you say, why is that significant, preacher? Because it becomes abundantly clear by the end of this text that none of the three of them actually had made Jesus the Lord of their life. That title, Lord, is very interesting. It literally, it's, it's the Greek Adonai, and it literally means master, master. Uh, it is a title of surrender on the part of the person proclaiming it, and it is a title of authority on the person upon whom it is being proclaimed. And all three of these men said the same thing, Lord, they said, you have the government of our life. But I find another interesting passage in the Word of God. Uh, You say, preacher, are you telling me there's folks that would call Him Lord that have not made Him Lord? I'll show you a step farther. The Bible tells us there will be a time when men will stand before an Almighty God and He'll cast them into outer darkness. And before He does, they're going to say, Lord, Lord, I cast out devils in Your name. I preached in Your name. I did many wondrous miracles in Your name. And He'll say, depart from me, ye what? Workers of iniquity. I never knew you. You see, that's the real question. It's not just can I be a rebellious Christian and still call Him Lord. You can be lost as a ball in high weeds and still call Him Lord. There's plenty of folks that claim that He's the Lord of their life. You won't find, in fact, I would challenge you uh, to go in a uh, quarter mile radius of this church building and find more than a handful that would tell you He's not their Lord. We're in the Bible Belt. We're in the buckle of the Bible Belt. And you'll find that most everybody will say He's the Lord of their life. But, you know, the Bible says the nation of Israel that these people draw nigh unto me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. 
And you say, but preacher, the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. And that's true, but when it speaks of the mouth speaking, it's not just speaking of the words you say, it's speaking of the actions that you commit. In other words, all three of them proclaimed Him to be the Lord, proclaimed Him to be the Lord of their life, said, you are my master, I surrender to you, I submit to you. You know, I'm just convinced, the more I read this book, The more I read this Bible, I mean, I see lots of it for the lost man. And I'm thankful for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm thankful for Calvary. I'm thankful for a Savior that came to seek and to save that which was lost. But the more I read the Word of God, I see more and more messages for the believer too. Because as you go through here, you will find plenty that confessed or professed Him, uh, proclaimed Him to be Lord. But that doesn't necessarily mean anything. You may, these are church-going folks, you understand. I mean, it ain't just anybody that'd come and say Lord to him. At that time, it meant something. And this day that we live in now, everybody, you know, is a Christian. But at that time, there was at least supposed to be some substance behind what they were saying. It's easy to call him Lord now because everybody's a quote-unquote Christian. But just because you say he's the Lord of your life, that doesn't mean anything. What does your life say about it? Your life will tell you who is the Lord of it. Your life will tell you who is the Lord. If Jesus is in charge of your life, it'll be evident. By the same token, if you're in charge of it, or if the devil's in charge of it, or if the world is in charge of it, it'll be just as evident. You see, all three of these men, they proclaimed Him to be Lord. Notice the second thing. Uh, They're all faced with this challenge of discipleship, are they not? And notice what they all say. Notice the next phrase, verse 57. It says, Lord, I will... Follow thee. Look down at verse number 59. But he said unto another, follow me. But he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father, implying that he too would follow him. And look at verse number 61. And another also said, Lord, I will follow thee. I find that all three of these men not only proclaimed him Lord, but I see that all three of these men pledged their lives to him. All three of them, whether explicitly or implicitly, they all said, okay, Lord. I'll say yes to you. Do you know there's a sense in which we can say yes to God and still be saying no? There's a sense in which we can be saying yes to God, but still be saying no. Any time that we give God less than what He's asked for, we're saying no. We might give Him more than the person next to us gave Him. We might give Him more than the average Christian. But any time that we don't give Him our whole being... We're giving him less than what he asked for. And we may be saying yes, but we're still saying no. We have churches filled with Christians nowadays that feel good about the fact that they've said yes to God in a few small things. But they don't see that they've still robbed and stolen from him the government of their life. We think if we dress right, if we carry the right Bible, we think if we go to a a church that preaches some truth, a a church that's got good music, we we think if we, uh, you know, set a Bible on our table or on our nightstand, uh, we think if we do this and do that, that that's enough. But my question is, have you given Him everything? Because when He died for you, He bought everything. He took you lock, stock, and barrel when you was lost, didn't He? He didn't say, I'll die for them, but their worst sins I won't save, I won't forgive. I'll die for them, but, I, you know, there's a certain portion of their life that I won't redeem and I won't replenish. When he saved you, he bought you lock, stock, and barrel. He paid for everything. Is he getting what he paid for this morning? All three of these men pledged their lives, but all three of them did it conditionally. You see, that's the problem. We have a God that loves us unconditionally, but we don't want to serve him unconditionally. 
There's going to be times that ain't going to be easy. And I ain't going to preach my message before I get there, but just suffice it to say that just because you've said yes in some things, that don't mean you've said yes on everything. And if you've not said yes on everything, then you're robbing God. You're a thief from an almighty God, from what he has bought and paid for. You've robbed it and taken it back from him if you're not giving him every part of your life, every part of your being. You say, preacher, it looks pretty good from the high horse that you're on. No, I'm preaching this at me, just like I'm preaching it at you. If I've done that, then I'm a thief and I'm a robber and I'm a scoundrel, and I'm apathetic, and I'm a pitiful Christian if I've done it in areas where I have done it. I don't care who we are. We all need to recognize the authority and government of Jesus Christ over our lives. We see that all three pledged in their lives. But I want you to notice a final thing. And this is implicit in the text. You'll find things that are explicit in the Bible and things that are implicit. You say, what do you mean? Uh, There's things that are taught by what is said, and there's things that are taught by what's not said. And we find that all three of these men proclaimed Him to be Lord, even though He wasn't. All three of these men pledged Him their lives, but upon a condition. And we find that all three of these men politely left without following Him. Can I say to you today that polite Christianity is destroying the church. You say, what do you mean, preacher, by polite Christianity? I'm on, Brother, I'm about to climb out on a limb, but that's where the fruit's at, so you bear with me. I mean this whole exchange that we've all got with each other, where we know something ain't right, but we don't talk about it. I mean this whole thing where we come into the house of God, uh, we hear, and I, not just me, friend, not just my preaching, but I mean, I, you know, we'll sit and we'll hear the song. Oh, I was thinking about it. We were singing at Calvary, and I was thinking uh, where he says, Now I've given to Jesus everything. I thought, I wonder how many of us were just made hypocrites. Because we sat there and sang that when we've not given him everything. The reality is every one of us, whether it's through the preaching, whether it's through the singing, we come in, we act like everything's okay when everything's not okay. It's that polite Christianity. That that Christianity that doesn't want to put attention upon friendships and relationships. And can I say that that polite Christianity, that won't get the job done. We've got to get honest. We've got to get sincere. And we've got to start really being truthful about the areas of our life that need work. They politely left. But they left just the same. They could have sat there and huffed and puffed and stomped and cursed his name. But they didn't. Instead, they smiled. They said, it's not for me. And they turned around and walked away. And it would not surprise me if in this room today we had folks that God met you face to face in your soul and in your heart and said, what will you give me? And you politely smile and say, Oh, thank you, Lord, not for me. And politely turn and walk away. What caused these three men to do this? I see three excuses in this passage. And by the way, we've got a lot of excuses today. I mean, that's the truth, right? That's the truth. Uh, it, you know, it's, it's football season. And uh, it, it, you watch football. I, I've got, I got a lot of friends. Don't hold this against me. I've got a lot of friends that are Georgia fans, okay? And... Uh, that won't help you around here, Miss Tammy. <laughs> and uh, I got a lot of friends that are Georgia fans. And, buddy, they would not hear any excuses. I'd talk to them. I'd say, well, you know, we got a young football team this year, brick by brick. And it's going to take time. And they didn't want any excuses. They didn't want to hear a single one. 
till about 8.15 last night. Then they found all the excuses they could look for. Oh, I, now I know whether we've got football fans. Some of you are going, huh? Others of you are going, preach. We always have excuses. Excuses are abundant. But there will come a day before the judgment seat of Christ when no excuse will be found. What you are is what you are, and what you've done is what you've done. And what he does with you will be up to him. He, oh, listen, he won't send you to hell. But oh, what a day of weeping and wailing that will be for many of us. There's coming a day. They all had excuses. I want to notice these three excuses. Let me just give them to you very quickly. I want you to notice that one of the reasons, one of the pitfalls of Christian discipleship that we see in this passage is the uncounted cost of discipleship. He, the first man comes up to him and says, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. He says, okay. He says, foxes have their holes, and the birds of the air have their nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. And that young man said, no, thank you, not for me. There's lots of folks that they're real keen on serving God till they realize it's difficult. It's difficult. This thing ain't for the weak stomached. Being honest with you. This thing, and don't get me wrong, these young people, they can be wise beyond their years, and they can, so I don't mean this in a chronological sense. But let me just say this, this whole thing of serving God, this isn't for boys, this is for men. And this isn't for little girls, this is for women. And that's not to say they can't be wise beyond their years and do that. Don't misunderstand me. But I'm just simply saying, particularly to our adults, this, this is a thing where we're going to have to, us men, we're going to have to quit you like men, as the Bible says. And we're going to have to quit making excuses. We're going to have to step up and do the right thing. You see, it's easy when it looks like it's easy. But then when it gets tough, all of a sudden, sorry, Lord. I know I called you, Lord. I know I gave you my life. But now I'm leaving. The uncounted cost. This young man was willing to serve Christ until he realized it would mean maybe some nights out under the stars. What does that say about us? I, I, there's very few in this world, especially in this part of the country, that through serving Jesus Christ are going to have to go and sleep without a roof over their heads. I mean, this young man had a better excuse than we did, and he didn't have no excuse at all. You see, we're, we're all revved up. We want to serve God. Hey, Lord, I'll serve you. I'll do anything you want. So he says, all right, I want you to do this. All right, dig into that check a little bit. Give me a little more. All right, go to that neighbor. Go to that friend, go to that family member, and have a serious talk with them about their soul. All right, it's going to mean doing without this, doing without a little recreation, doing without a little of this, doing without a little of that. And then we say, oh, Lord, I didn't know you was going to ask for that. The problem is we, we think we own this thing. We think this is ours. We, we think that, I don't have no billfold on, I, I've learned quit carrying my billfold around Baptist. Uh, but, you know, we've learned, we, we think that this money is ours. We think this time is ours. We think it belongs to us. We have the mentality of a thief. You know, that's what a thief is. A thief always believes what you got belongs to him if he can just get it. If he can just get it away from you, it belongs to him. A thief always justifies uh, his stealing and his theft. He always, boy, there's not much, Anything that, that an honest person hates more than a thief. Isn't that true? You ever been stole from? Yeah, there's not much. I mean, you could be just about anything and be loved more than a thief amongst honest folk. And that's all we are. We're a bunch of thieves. 
We're a bunch of thieves that God has blessed us with health and with time and with money and with energy. And because we can get it away from Him and use it on our own energy and use it for our own purposes, we think it belongs to us. The fact of the matter is, this young man didn't count the cost. And you better understand, we've got this thing backwards about discipleship. We do everything we can to drag folks in to make it look appealing to them. But if you read the verse just prior to this, the Bible says there were many multitudes following the Lord. You know what he was doing? Forgive me if this sounds crass, but he was thinning the herd. He, I mean, he, he had multitudes following him. But they didn't know what following him was. Boy, if that's ever a picture of the modern day church. Multitudes following him that don't have a clue what following him means. They think, it, they think it's just making a courtesy appearance in a church house once a week. They think it's just owning a big old family Bible and putting weddings and births and deaths. And they, think, they think it's just putting, you know, reposting a, a courtesy picture on Facebook. They, God help us. They think that it's just this soft, casual, empty Christianity that's a mile wide and a quarter inch deep. And that's what they think that Christianity is. Can I say to you today that if your Christianity... Now listen, now I'm not talking about your salvation. Your salvation is paid for full and free. But if your Christianity don't cost you anything, it's a cheap Christianity. If you're, listen, if, you, if your faith can't get you out of bed and into the house of God, I believe I'd trade it up for a different kind. If your faith can't drive you enough to witness to someone, I believe I'd get a different sort. That's not what God saved us for. He saved us to be something different. He didn't save us uh, just to, to uh, be uh, nothing. He didn't save us uh, just to add nothing. The Bible says we're salt of the earth and we're the light. And that's what God saved us for. If we don't make a difference, what's the purpose? What are we even doing this for? I believe, first off, we see the uncounted cost turns a lot of folks away. But notice, secondly, we see the unburied corpse turns a lot of folks away from discipleship. There was another one, and this man was not proactive, <laughs> Now, I find it interesting that some men offered themselves to the Lord, but this man, the Lord, laid stake on his life. And you might be here today, and you might not have come here for this. You might have come here to shout and have a good time and thought, boy, you know, preacher's going to be nice to me today and, and everything. But maybe the Lord is going to lay stake on your life today. And that's what happened with this young man. And the Lord said to him, follow me. There's two words that can change your life. Follow me. Follow me. And he said, Lord, suffer me first to go and bury my father. I'm not going to give you 800 different commentaries, opinions about that verse. They're out there if you're interested. But I'll tell you what I believe. I believe that it was the Jewish custom to bury a man the day that he died. You'll find that in the Gospels, that there was a time when uh, a, a young man had, had just died and they were carrying him to his graveside. His body wasn't hardly even cold yet, and the Lord touched him and raised him from the dead. But that was the day that he died. The Scripture is very clear to tell us. So I don't believe that this young man is saying, my father's uh, lifeless body is laying over here and someone needs to, to bury him. But let me say this. Either way, the application is still appropriate. Most people believe, and I'm of this opinion, that what he was saying is my father is aged. He, he's not long for this world. And I have, listen now, I have an obligation. I have an obligation to see him to the end of his life. Do you know there is a difference between an obligation and a duty? Get ready. There is a difference between an obligation and a duty. 
An obligation is something that man has put upon us. A duty is something that's divinely appointed. Old Harold Seitler used to always say that duties never conflict. You can always be what God expects you to be. You'll never have to be, uh, uh, you'll never have to let one facet of your duties uh, inflict and conflict with another facet of your duties. They never conflict. You can always do and be the right thing. And this young man says, I need to stay with my father until he dies. Why don't you let me go home first? You see, some folks are willing to serve God till they realize it's difficult. Other folks are willing to serve God until they realize it's demanding. You hear me this morning? He was fine serving God as long as he could just take care of everything else first. Listen now, if you won't put Christ first, you'll never have him a part of your life. If you won't put him first, he'll never have the government of your life. We have a lot of Christians that are in the waiting period of serving God. Funny thing about it, there ain't no waiting period of serving God. Oh, there's preparation times. I'm keenly aware of that. I know Moses was on the backside of the desert for 40 years. Moses was serving God on the backside of the desert for 40 years. That's what God had laid out for his life. Moses wasn't out there just trying to build a big retirement and buy his next toy. Moses was right where God put him. And let me say that a lot of times the obligations of this world are the very things that drive us away from serving Jesus Christ. I'm going to make two statements. One of them is going to be real bold, and, and I, don't know if it'll, I don't know if it'll go down like honey or vinegar. If your choice, listen, if your choice was I either work a job or I serve Christ, you ought to choose to serve Christ. That went down how I expected it. Let me say this, oftentimes and for the vast majority of us, God doesn't make us choose. God doesn't make us choose. Funny thing about it, where you work, there's probably plenty of lost folks. Where you work, you probably come in contact with plenty of folks that need the Lord in their life. I'm not advocating that everybody go out, quit their job, and go into full-time ministry. But I'm saying this, if that's what God has for you, you ought not be scared of it. Because he, you owe it to Him. You owe it to... Not just, will I be benevolent towards the Lord today and give this to... You owe that to... It's His. If that's what He's asked of you and you've not done it, you're a thief. I'm, I'm having fun whether you are or not. <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, most of the time those obligations don't have to hinder us. Listen to what the Lord says. Let the dead bury their dead. Can, can I, can I, and I, you know me, I'm not changing the Bible, but can I say that how we would say it today? Let the lost folks fill their bank accounts. They're going to be here through the tribulation to spend it. Let them, let them work on buying the big house, the nice boat. That's all they're ever going to have. You've got something that's not of this world. You ought to be working and serving for Jesus Christ. So many of us are working so hard to get where we want to be here that we miss the fact of what we've got up there. We miss, oh my, what what an adjustment in perception it'll be when we step outside of time and into eternity 
And you know what's going to be very interesting? The very thing we thought we had an abundance of here is all of a sudden going to be an absolutely uh, oblivious and absolutely absent commodity when we get there. And that's time to serve God. The very thing that we took for granted here, the time, the energy, the opportunity to serve God. You say, preacher, I ain't got no time. Then what do you need to trim out to become a disciple of Jesus Christ? I always ask our young people, and, I, and listen, I am for young people working. Our, our country would be in better shape if young people would learn how to work. Right? I'm for it. But can I just tell you that you have to have the same standard as a, as a 15, 16-year-old when it comes to your job not interfering with the house of God that any adult would have. And I have asked young people this when they've gone to get a job and all of a sudden, here they are, they're gone. They're not in the house of God anymore. I always try to pose them with this question, what is your end game? Are you never going to go to church again because you're working a job? Because that's where a lot of young people wind up. They get a job, they get out, and they never get back in. I understand everybody gets their ox out of a ditch occasionally. I don't care who you are, there's times. And I don't think God's angry at you over that. But you better recognize that the house of God needs to be the preeminent thing. And the Word of God and the worship of God and the people of God and the Spirit of God and the prayer closet of God has to be the preeminent thing. Because it's not long before those that are living are burying those that are dead when those that are dead could be doing it for them. There's always, there's always going to be another hour to work at work. There's always going to be another bill to pay. There's always, but you're running out of time to serve Jesus Christ. You better get with it. Because none of us is promised tomorrow, and Jesus is coming soon. So if we're going to do it, we better do it now. Because this is all that we're promised, is the now. I see the unburied corpse. And lots of folks won't serve God because of the obligations they have. Well, I'd love to, preacher. I'd love to. Maybe if I can get this job worked out. Maybe if I can get this took care of. Maybe if I can get this done. Maybe then... Jesus said, I'm not interested in you. I'm not interested in you as a disciple. Most of us, most of us, if we did our boss like we do God, we'd be fired within three days. Isn't that true? Most of us, if we, if we did God the way we do, uh, our, or if we did our bosses the way we do our God. You know what God says about that in the book of Malachi? When he talks about the corrupt offerings that they were giving? That which was blemished, that which was lame, that which was corrupt. You know what he said? He said, offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thy person? You know what he's saying? He said, see if you can uh, get away with that in the secular world. They'd fire us in a heartbeat, most of us. They'd fire us. If we did them the way we do God, we wouldn't go very far. There's folks, I've seen whole families get out of church over kids going into sports. You say, you against sports? No, I'm not against sports. I think sports is wonderful. I think it's a good thing. I think our young people need to be involved with it. I, I don't have a single problem. But there was a time when even the secular world had enough respect for the house of God that they wouldn't put a practice or a game on a Wednesday night or on a Sunday. And I've seen entire, I've seen entire families get out of church because of, of softball or football or basketball or dance class. Then all of a sudden the whole family's out. 
I don't, you pastored for a lot of years. You just want to shake people sometimes, don't you? <laughs> not because you, not because you're angry, not because you hate them, but because you want them to have some sense about it. Here you've got a whole family that the devil's trying to destroy. And get out of church over something as silly and trivial as that. There's always going to be obligations. There'll always be excuses. Always. We see the unburied corpse. Let me give you one final one. I'll be, I'll be done. I'll hush. I see not only the uncounted cost, and I see the unburied corpse, but I see the unbroken circle as a hindrance to us following Jesus Christ. Here's this third man. And it started looking up. You know, it started looking better. That's how ministry is, too, you know, with ministry. You, you have a big day, and then, and then the bottom falls out. <laughs> and then you have a big day, and then the bottom, and, and you just, you know, it's a roller coaster sometimes. And I, Jesus must have been feeling that way. You say, oh, he didn't feel it. You sure he's the son of man? He would have felt that. And you could imagine, you know, here's this first man comes to him and says, I will follow thee. And Jesus says, wonderful. But it's going to mean that you're going to have to do without. And he says, well, never mind. And then Jesus looks around and looks at a young man and says, all right, you, you follow me. Take his place. Follow me. He says, okay, Lord, but suffer me first to go and bury my father. And you can just imagine how discouraging it must be. But then here comes the bright and shining example. Here's another young man says, I will follow thee. I will follow thee. They may have failed you, Lord, but I won't fail you. I will follow thee. But let me first. You know the, the key words in those verses? Me first. Me first. This me first Christianity ain't going to get the job done. It's got to be a Jesus first Christianity to get the job done. But let me first. Go home and kiss my father and mother and say goodbye to them. Jesus looks at him and says, No man, having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You know why Jesus said that? The Bible says about a certain group of people that Christ would not commit himself unto them because he knew what was in man. And I believe about this young man that he understood this is the Son of God. He is omniscient. He knows all things. And he understood what was going to happen when that young man went home. Can I, can I tell you? I, listen, I, if you're lost here today, I hope that you get saved before it's everlasting too late. But I came in today to preach and help our people. And I, and I, and I hope you get saved if you're lost. But listen up, believers. Listen up, Christians. Because this is going to sound harsh. But this is what Jesus said. This isn't what I said. If you're going to serve God, there's going to be people you're going to have to get rid of out of your life. There's going to be people you're going to have to get rid of out of your life. People that are going to hinder you. People that are going to try to drag you down from serving God. I know what would have happened if that young man went home, and you know what would have happened too. If you've ever had kids, you know what would have happened. Mom and Daddy would have got in on that thing. And he would have come home and he would have said, you'll never believe it. Here I've met Jesus Christ. Oh, and he's going to let me follow him. And they would have said, now, wait a minute, son. Wait a minute. You know, you've got your schooling to tend to first. Wait a minute, son. What are you going to do about your job? Son, now, that, that, that ain't no way to raise a family to be out there all the time just caring about with this Jesus fella. They can only realize that's the only way to raise a family. That's the only way. You won't raise your family right without Jesus Christ. You won't raise your family right without Him being in the dead center of it. Or in the living center, I guess I should say, of it. 
there's always going to be a group of people that's going to call you a fanatic. And listen, to dead Christians, if you follow Jesus Christ, you are a fanatic. That's the world we live in today. We live in a Sunday morning only Christianity world. That's what this world is today. You get on fire for Jesus Christ, it's going to be strange to some folk. You've got to make up your mind right now. You say, preacher, what will happen if I don't? You won't follow him. That's what. That's what. I, I, I'm not. There, there's sometimes a preacher in his message feels like he is pleading. I'm being honest. Sometimes he feels like he's pleading. I'm not pleading with you. I'm plopping it out there for you to listen this morning. You'll make a wreck of your life if you don't get in line with Jesus Christ. I want you to. I, I implore you. I, I, I beg you. I, I hope you do. But whether you do or not, it won't change. It won't change him. And it won't change what he requires of you. And no matter what you think about these verses we've read this morning, it's still the truth. It's still right. It may be weird to this world. It may be strange to dead Christians. But it's still what God paid for and what God expects out of your life. It's the only way. It's the only way. You say, what happens to people that don't? They wind up, they wind up as dead Christians. Their families go to pieces. They're miserable. They're plugging along. Satan's lullabied them to sleep, made them feel like they're somebody because they show up every once in a blue moon. No, it's going to take more than that. It's going to take more than that. If you're going to be what you need, it's going to take more. Don't follow me. I'm not talking about me. I, I, I won't, I'll lead you into a ditch. We'll be the blind leading the blind. Follow him. Follow him. He's right. He's holy. He, he's righteous. He's immaculate. He doeth all things well. Follow him. And he'll lead you right. But the sad thing is a lot of us just ain't following anybody but ourselves. We're doing things exactly as we please. And then one day we're going to lament when our family's in pieces, when our heart is broken, when our years are spent as a tale that is told. We're going to weep and cry and lament and say, Lord, I don't know what went wrong. I'll tell you what went wrong. Right now is the decision time. Right now. What will you do now? What will you do right now for Jesus Christ? Will you give him what he paid for?